are entering the Freedom Hut. It's the day after the Mueller report, and Democrats think we've already forgotten not just about what we found out yesterday, but what they did for the last two years. A massive campaign of lies is underway to make us think that they didn't tell us the president committed treason. They didn't say that he was a Russian asset. Nonsense. We'll break down the latest on that and everything else on a Freestyle Friday. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. Ready. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. You think I can speak for three hours without a phone call? Try doing that sometime. It is Buck Sexton. Now. do have the right to fight back and i'm fighting back not for me i'm fighting back for the people of this country no collusion there was no collusion no collusion no collusion there is absolutely no collusion there's no collusion the fact is there is no collusion no collusion there's no collusion this is a investigation where many many millions of dollars has been spent and there's no collusion this is a a win for this president who for now, two years has essentially been screaming there was no Russia collusion. He is backed up by Mueller. Maybe every time he said no collusion, but more than 231 times so far, maybe every time he said no collusion, he was telling the truth. This was an illegal takedown that failed. And hopefully somebody's going to look at the other side. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. You need to hear that, folks. You need to hear the president's voice on this again. We need to all remind each other that the Democrats failed in their soft coup against this president and that they're now lying about how, oh, they were right all along. Sure, they couldn't prove Russia collusion, but look at the obstruction case that has been created now by Mueller and his team of angry Democrats. Look at all the the behind the scenes shenanigans going on in the Trump administration. If you were facing the destruction of your presidency, the ruination of your reputation and possible imprisonment for, if not you, your immediate family members, because Democrats are a bunch of crybabies who can't accept that they lost the last election, I think you would lash out to. I think you would say, this is nonsense. I'm the leader of the free world. I'm the commander-in-chief. I'm going to let some little piddly bureaucrat try to destroy me because he wanted Hillary and all of the Democrats around her to be in charge? I don't think so. How do we stop this? What can we do? I've got constitutional authority to fire. This is an employee of the president's we're talking about here. But no, no, now they say, oh, well, it wasn't really ever about a plot between Trump and the Russians to throw the election. It was about all the other stuff. Front page of the Washington Post today just told the whole tale of left-wing propaganda for you. Right now, the headline is Paranoia, Lies, and Fear. Trump's presidency laid bare in report. You know what they don't have on here? That the stories that were run night after night for two years, almost 600 days, 
of stories dominated by this one theme that the president is illegitimate, that he stole, that he actively worked with the Russians to steal what was rightfully Queen Hillary's. And it was only a matter of time before the truth came out and people like me and you who did not believe this, we were rubes, buffoons. We just weren't very sophisticated, you see. Oh, but turns out we were right. So we're the smart people in this equation, aren't we? But the Democrats now move past this and pretend like that was never the story. That was never this. It was always about obstruction, you see. It was always about getting a window into how the president deals with his staff behind the scenes and how he's told people to lie. How many tears am I really supposed to shed about the president trying to deal with a media that is so dishonest, that does peddle fake news all the time, that is trying to destroy his presidency, destroy his family if they can. And so he gets a little creative with the truth sometimes. Yeah, do I think that President Trump tells some fibs here and there? Of course. Of course he does. Does every politician tell fibs here and there? Yes. Does President Trump tell lies about things that affect your life and mine in profound ways? That's, that's a different question, isn't it? Remember Barack Obama. Barack Obama said that you'd be able to keep your plan. That was a lie, and it, it was one that he knew. He knew was untrue at the time. That's a lie. That's not an exaggeration. That's not an embellishment. That's a lie. Obama's a liar. And Obama lied about something that a lot of you listening to this show, it hurt you. It affected you. Trump, you know, saying that Jim Acosta is a clown and then saying, well, maybe I didn't say he's a clown or whatever it is. I mean, all this stuff they're talking about behind the scenes. Who cares? Why, why is this supposed to matter to me so much? Because I know that, and we're going to talk more about some of the fair weather friend Republicans later on in the show, but I, I understand what the Republican Party is supposed to do here. I know what the media rules are for Republicans that are not Trump, and that is lie, I'm sorry, that is lose with dignity, lose with grace, but lose. Don't, don't defeat the Hillary machine. Don't stand up to the open borders left, to the Marxist Democrat vanguard that's trying to seize the government authority to take as much of your wealth as they want, to redistribute it, to put us in this crazy Green New Deal, to take control of your health care. Let's not win. Let's just all sit around and say, well, you know, Trump's business practices were very bare knuckle back in the day. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not going to play the game the way they want me to. It's a basic strategy I try to try to deploy. Uh, I don't take advice from my sworn enemies about how I'm going to conduct my side of the battle. And this is what the media is always trying to do. And so many Republicans fall for this. The big takeaway from yesterday is that the president of the United States did nothing wrong when it comes to Russia collusion and the election of 2016 and all of the efforts that he had behind the scenes to stop this machinery of destruction that the Democrats created with this special counsel that never should have been appointed, that never should have been allowed to exist. All of that is, in my mind, justified by the fact that it was an illegitimate investigation. Mueller never should have had 
the authority, never should have been in a place where he was allowed to do these things. It was all part of this plot. There was a conspiracy theory cooked up by Democrats, the media, and deep staters to to stop and then destroy a presidency. That's what happened. And the most fascinating part of this for me, and and this is what I want to look at a lot more with you in the weeks ahead, because I'm not dropping this. I'm not leaving this behind. I'm not forgetting about this at all. How did this get started? As I was reading through, I've really read thoroughly through uh, part one of this, which is the Russia collusion component of the report. Part two, I've gone through most of it, but I have some, some more that I need to dig into. Remember, there's no criminal charges from any of it, so it's not like it's that urgent. But the parts where they describe the origins of the investigation into alleged Trump campaign Russia collusion don't wash. Doesn't make sense. Not going to accept it. I simply do not believe that George Papadopoulos mouthing off about something that I had heard rumors. I heard a rumor from a friend of mine who was uh, in the National Guard um, in June of 2016. He's like, yeah, you know, I hear someone's got Hillary's emails. This was just a thing. This was in the rumor mill. And by the way, it's not a strange rumor to come up with because Hillary had deleted 30,000 emails because Hillary was engaged in a massive cover-up. You know, we're supposed to forget all this. They, they want to lecture us on the propriety of Trump in office and did he obstruct, did he do this, did he do that? Hillary endangered national security recklessly and then they just gave her a pass. Not only did Trump not work with Russia to steal the election, that didn't happen. Comey and Loretta Lynch and the Democrat establishment in the deep state, in the national security apparatus, made sure that Hillary could even stay in the race. What really should have happened is Hillary should have had to step down and deal with the the criminal acts, step down from the race, and it would have been Bernie versus Trump. And the great irony here is that would have actually been an interesting contest. I know a lot of you think that, you know, Bernie's a clown and all that stuff, and that's fine, but at least Bernie is presenting ideas that are, I, I, that I think he believes, I think they're disastrous, but I do think he believes them. I mean, Hillary's just a fraud, just a construct. She is the liberal establishment made into a human being. Completely hypocritical and phony and lacking in connection to normal people. Might as well have been a robot running, programmed by the editorial board of the New York Times and the, you know, the CNN newsroom. And that's why she didn't win. It's not because of Russia collusion. It's not because of a few Facebook bots. I mean, this is just absurd. But how did we even get to this point? We do not, I'm telling you right now, we do not have answers yet. How did we get to a place where the spying on the presidential campaign could even happen? This is a big, big deal. Barr, the attorney general, thankfully, is already on this. This is why Democrats freaked out so much. Because if the narrative finally comes together, if we can point to all the evidence we need so that it is irrefutable, although Democrats will still refute, they'll deny any reality at this point. It doesn't matter. 
But if we get to the point where we finally have answers to the questions about how did this happen? How do you pretend that Carter Page is a Russian asset? You spend five minutes, as I did. I came on this show. You know this. I interviewed Carter Page. I talked to him offset. I went through his whole story backwards and forwards. It is inconceivable that any intelligent human being in the FBI or the DOJ believed that Carter Page was a Russian asset and working for Putin. It is inconceivable. But that's what they went to the FISA court three times, signed off on by a judge. Now, Democrats also usually are very critical of law enforcement's powers and authorities. But here, law enforcement is sacrosanct. They never make a mistake at the FISA court. No, 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 of course not. You know, Democrats' default position is all cops, all law enforcement are bad, corrupt, and racist, except for Comey and everybody at the FBI who was trying to take Trump down. They're amazing. They're great. I see them for what they are, folks. You see them for what they are. There's great comfort in that. There's comfort in in being right. And this week we found out that we were. We have been all along, or we found out more details we've known, but now we have additional information about it. But the unrepentant, left-wing, attack dog media trying to pat itself on the back today, say, see, we got all this stuff right. Yeah, except for all all the stories night after night that would lead any person to believe that, wow, the president must have colluded with Russia. Look at all these, look at all these experts they bring on who talk about how the president is, is, a, is a witting or unwitting Russian agent. Look at the former senior government officials, the former CIA director they, they put on TV to say the president did something tantamount to treason. That's a quote. I'm sorry, but if you're a news organization and you put a government official on or a senior government official of the Obama administration on air to say the president committed treason, you don't get to walk back in a year or two and say, well, I mean, we didn't report that he committed treason. We just gave a platform to people who said that that's what happened. This is the dishonesty. This is the, the depths of the depravity that the left has gone to in this because Trump broke them. Trump broke them. They still can't handle it. What are they going to say? Just I know we have to go into a break, guys, but what, what are they going to say when Trump wins re-election? There's a part of me that, says, that, that laughs and says, I mean, what are they going to say? China stole the election? Actually, maybe. A- anything but recognize that the Democrat Party has a lot of really bad ideas, a lot of really shady and shifty people at the top of it, and doesn't do a good job when they're in power. Maybe that's the problem. Oh. It's Friday, folks, which means that we got a lot more show to get to. We'll be right back. I think it validates the decisions that we made, uh, certainly in July of 2016, to start the initial uh, Russia-focused investigation. And then, of course, the decisions that we made in May of 2017 to include the president uh, in, in that investigation personally. As you know, Rachel, the FBI, uh, the standard for predication to open an investigation in the FBI is an articulable, factual basis to believe that a threat to national security might exist Mm -hmm. or that a federal crime might have been committed. Andrew McCabe there, still standing behind this, this idea that it was not completely and utterly insane. That was the acting FBI director, folks. He, he thinks that it's not completely crazy 
to still believe that there was any reasonable basis to think Trump was a Russian asset, that Trump was selling out his country, that he was a tra- They're saying the president's a traitor. That's the acting FBI director. This isn't some, you know, random Internet troll. This isn't some left-wing TV show host. That's the acting FBI director, formerly. Now he got fired from the FBI. But they are completely unrepentant about this. The deep state coup plotters do not, do not in any way feel chastened by the fact that now we know what they did. Not the full extent of it, but we at least know that what they did was disgusting and disgraceful. They're also trying to redefine terms here to make it seem less insane that they still cling to these theories. Clapper, who was the director of national intelligence, is now talking about how, well, maybe they didn't really collude, but they kind of colluded. Play clip six. I think uh, if there was an active collusion proven, then I think what we have here is a case of uh, passive collusion, uh, where uh, in some cases, uh, unwittingly, to include uh, candidate Trump himself, who retweeted uh, messages that had been planted by the Russians in social media. Passive collusion, folks. That now means that if you see a meme on the Internet and you retweet it, if someone says, you know, Hillary Clinton is bad. uh, Guess what? If you retweet that, you're a Russian asset. That's just crazy. All right. That's just unacceptable. But that is what the DNI is saying there. You know, that any kind of social media that you share or that you retweet, anything like that, if it comes from the Russians, you're a part of the Russian disinformation campaign. You're basically a Russian spy. They have defined these things in a way that any serious person knows that they're crazy, but they don't think they're crazy. All right, we got a lot more show coming up, team. Um, We are going to have Michael Knowles from The Daily Wire joining, which is going to be fun. So stick around for that. Plus... uh, Take some roll call time. It's going to be a fantastic show. It's always a fantastic show. And I have a special surprise for you guys planned for Monday. I thought it was going to be today, but it's going to be Monday. So let's consider that a teaser. Be right back. If the special counsel, as he made clear, had found evidence exonerating the president, he would have said so. He did not. The evidence would have to be quite overwhelming and demonstrable and such that it would generate bipartisan support for the idea that it renders the president unfit for office. Now, many of us do think the president's unfit for office, but unless that's a bipartisan conclusion, an impeachment would be doomed to failure. I continue to think that a failed impeachment is not in the national interest. Are they going to impeach him? Is that going to happen? Is that where this all goes next for the Democrats? I know that right now the the general politico consensus on this tends to be no, they won't impeach. They will have hearings. They'll make a lot. They'll make a big deal out of this but they won't impeach him because they know that it will be ultimately unsuccessful and could backfire on them, right? That's that's the consensus opinion right now. I'm not sure that that's the case. I'm I'm more along the lines of I think that the 
Democrat left has completely lost its mind. I think that they are, um, I think that they're going to have to deal with the fact that the Ocasio-Cortez wing of the party is ascendant, that the Bernie Sanders socialist wing is ascendant, and and they are going to make the 2020 election a referendum not just on the Trump presidency, but on the future economic and political trajectory of this country in ways that would have been unthinkable even 10 years ago. Are we going to be a capitalist country or are we going to tend towards socialism? Are we going to be a, a, a country devoted to the protection of individual rights and limited government? Or are we going to be a country that thinks the government is your best buddy and going to do everything for you and can, and can therefore do anything it wants? This is all what's coming. Now, Ari Fleischer thinks that this is going to be over at this point. Here's what and I, I, Ari's a smart guy, and I appreciate his opinion. I, I think he's uh, I think he's wrong on this one, <laughs> but but I did want to give you his point of view because maybe maybe I'm wrong on this one. I'm unlike some radio hosts who think they know everything. I recognize that I'm sometimes wrong. It is rare, and so when it happens, you better savor the flavor. But I leave open the possibility that I might I might not see this one the way that I should. Here's a a different opinion from Mr. Fleischer. Play twelve. I think it's over unless the White House stops it from being over, that the Democrats are about to walk a plank and fall off of it into the ocean with their conspiracy theories and their truther uh, collusion theories and their obstruction theories. Let them walk that plank and, and fall into the ocean. But what I'm wrestling with this morning is the president's tweets this morning. If I were the president, I would have basically declared victory with the Mueller report and everything that came out and move beyond it and then just let these grassy knoll truthers play with it. Uh, so the president's tweet suggested he was upset with something in the Mueller report, which only makes it look like he's got something to worry about. So that's the part I don't understand from the president. Um, but I think the White House can and should move beyond this. It's mm. over, except for the conspiracy theorists. I, I don't think it's over. I think Ari is... I think Ari's thinking about this like it were it was the Bush administration back in the day and we're playing by a certain set of rules. I think the rules have changed now. I, I think Trump has broken the left. I think that they they are detached from reality. I think that they are unmoored. And they're going to want their political pound of flesh here. They're going to want the, uh, the the pain, so to speak. They're, they're going to want to bring the ruckus to Trump. Um, and, you know, that's going to be... That's going to be difficult. Uh, that's going to be a tough thing for them to to tone down. Um, I think that they're going to look to. I think they're going to go look. I think they're going to find a way to, to justify impeaching. I mean, look at the campaign they've got going now to undermine Barr uh, and and how much bile is being heaped atop a, a very good and very uh, honorable guy. I mean, they're they're just saying all kinds of crazy stuff about this. I mean, Hogan Gidley, the White House Deputy Press Secretary, he he was on this one that I talked about. Play 13. Saved our case was the fact that the president did nothing wrong. The media is moving to discredit Attorney General Barr, which is ridiculous because he's a has a long history of incredible, uh, impeccable credentials. But this is not his report. It's the Mueller report. They've seen all the information. They did not have anything to get him on with relate as it relates to collusion. They did not have anything to get him on as relates to obstruction yeah they're acting like Barr was the one who saved trump when in reality Mueller, and i've read through now almost the entirety of the of the report 
I've got a little bit left to go that I'll finish this weekend. But the truth is that Mueller did everything he could. I mean, Mueller's part two of the investigation is almost like the legal equivalent of an interpretive dance all within within eye to taking down Trump. I mean, just just contort the law in whatever way you have to do the most the, the, the most tortured interpretations of different statutes possible to try to extend them just enough to ensnare the president of the United States. And there's so much included in that that has nothing to do with criminal conduct. There's so much included in the report that it's just, you know, I heard this thing that, you know, I heard one morning the president, you know, stubbed his toe and yelled ow and cursed like an idiot, you know, ha ha. I mean, there's it's just an oppo research dump. This is what this report was. Oppo research paid for by you, by me, by the taxpayer using not just the resources, but the power of the federal investigation authority that that we give to special counsels. All the all the spy tools they could want, all the resources. Couldn't come up with a criminal charge. Does anyone really doubt that the people who sent SWAT teams to arrest Roger Stone and locked George Papadopoulos up for forgetting the month of a non-criminal conversation that was meaningless? Does anyone really think that those people would not have pressed charges against Trump if they could have? Does anyone really think that they gave this administration, they gave the president or, or any of his people the benefit of the doubt? Of course not. That would be preposterous. But the same people, same Democrat media left that has been lecturing us for two years now about how Trump undermines institutions and undermines our system of government and the process now are willing to cast out on the entire process. Oh, the attorney general doesn't really make the call. The Congress makes the call about what happened here. That's not true. That's just not, that is not what the law says. That is not what the constitution says, but they're only in favor of institutions when the institutions do what they want. And when they're in control of them, Democrats only like institutions and laws and the Constitution when it works to their favor. The moment it doesn't, they're all disposable. The role of the attorney general itself, that's coming under assault right now. We'll get into more of their anti-bar efforts coming up. A sad day for the institution of the presidency, a sad day for the institution of the Department of Justice. The attorney general did a grave disservice to the country by misrepresenting significant parts of the Mueller report. The attorney general of the United States here was acting as the president's lawyer, not the people's. Barr's words and actions suggest he has been disingenuous and misleading. General Barr, he might as well have been in the White House uh, press conference room as the spokesperson for the president. This is so unfair, so dishonorable, such a smear, but you're, you're hearing it from Democrats all, all across the country now. Just, just ruin the attorney general's reputation. Just ruin. And, and what, are their, what are the real things that they point to here? They just lie about him. He's done nothing wrong. Everything that Barr has done has been by the book and has favored transparency and favored fairness, and favored the process. Everything he has done is by the book, and he knows the process. He has done this before. You will not find a person of any 
reputation in D.C. legal circles, because I've been asking people about this this week, you will not find anyone who says that Bob Barr, I just said Bob Barr, Bill Barr, sorry, and that keeps happening. Bill Barr is a highly competent, highly ethical, respected member of the legal profession. Everyone, everyone knows. Everyone knows. And yet, the Democrats are running around saying terrible things about him. I just want to know, if you criticize Ilhan Omar, they say it's incitement to violence. If you say that Bob Barr is a terrible human being who's hurting the country by lying about the Mueller report in service to the president of the United States, you're a Democrat. You're a media star getting paid millions of dollars a year. These these people, it's so gutter and low to do what they're doing they just they ha- I, I the word dishonorable I, I know i keep using it but they really they don't have any honor they don't back away all those and those are some of the most prominent democrats in the country including shifty shift there i mean not that he's that prominent but he's just oh it's just he's such a such a snake uh, but they're they're going around completely destroying somebody's reputation. They have no good faith argument to make on this whatsoever. He didn't spin. He didn't. They would have said that no matter what. But that, they, what's amazing is they, there's no hesitancy in this. You don't see these Democrats who are coming forward and saying, you know, actually, actually, Bill Barr is a really, really ethical, reputable guy. He's a good guy. And. This is this is all you know. You say what you want about Trump and the report and everything else, but to say that Barr uh, is is a problem here is just to be a lot, just to be disingenuous, it's to be dishonest. That's just wrong, man. It's just wrong, you know. Five Pinocchios, and uh, this debate actually played out on my Hill show, which, as you know, is a conservative and liberal show, and. Uh, Joe DeGeneva, this has gotten picked up now by some other websites, who's a well-known lawyer and a confidant of the president's, uh, had a an exchange, for sure, that is, that is a fair thing to call it, with my co-host on the Attorney General's credibility. And while I, I certainly do not, uh, I, I do not criticize my, my co-host um, because we do a show together every day and I have a professional obligation to be always respectful and responsible and talking about my co-host since this is making the rounds right now and getting a lot of attention i will let you hear <laughs> i will play for you the exchange that they had on the issue of of uh, bar's credibility john please play the clip they lay out here the considerations that guided our obstruction yeah. of justice investigation number one first a traditional prosecution or declination decision entails a binary determination to initiate or decline a prosecution. We determine not to make that, and the very first thing they cite is that guideline from the OLC that a sitting president no, cannot Barr, be indicted. You had that to listen was, to Bill Barr. He said he, said he asked Mueller yeah, but, three but that's times. that's not what's in just, the report. Well, because Andrew Weisman <laughs> wrote the report. Uh, Bill Barr said he asked Mueller three separate times. Did you base your decision on the fact that a sitting president cannot be indicted? And Mueller said, I did not. 
three separate times. I don't know what's in that report. Well, that's that, that what I'm you just read you is kind of. No, yeah. I taught English before I went to law school. I'd like to kind of take that sentence and parse it because it didn't make sense to me. But I can just tell you this: it, the decision was not based on that. It, it literally says, "Here are the well, considerations that guided our obstruction of justice then investigation." Is Mueller a liar? Well, I'm asking if Barr is a liar is really the question here because it oh, says very clearly here you know that what? one of the considerations Mueller then should have said I would have brought charges because there's evidence you know that but voice. I can't bring charges. Do that that's he that's exactly what he should have done. So let, 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 let me just say something right now about what you just said. Don't you dare suggest that Bill Barr is a liar. He's, I've known him for 30 years. He's one of the finest lawyers this country has ever produced. He came back out of retirement to serve this country. There's not one shred of evidence that anything he said either the other day or now or today was a lie. Don't ever say that in front of me about Bill Barr. You have no evidence that he lied and you I, know it. But I'm telling you. You said he may I, have lied. What I'm telling you is that what he said this today in the press conference is inconsistent with what's in the report. That's not a lie. Uh, that's okay. Fine. It's not the, fine. You're on national reality. television calling the attorney general a liar. I didn't say that. You're you suggested it mouth. very strongly. All right. Well, I think we're done here. I Thanks think we are. Us. Good. Well then, that was a that was a testy exchange. Yeah, I was like, whoa. This just got. That was also Victoria Tensing, uh, uh, who was the lady who was speaking at the beginning of that clip. But that was on Rising, and uh, some folks saw it, and it is now making the rounds. So the issue of the integrity of the Attorney General does get some people very fired up. And I, I would note that, you know, if you're going to, uh, you know, if you're going to make claims about somebody, that that you better be ready for people to make the counterclaims. And whew, that was that was a. Uh, Spicy. That was a little. Ooh, I got the vapors. I was sitting there. I was like, oh my gosh. Oh, oh, I do declare. This is getting. You know, usually on Rising, we have a pretty. It's a morning show, and we try to be smiley and happy. Even though we're talking about politics and some pretty intense things, at least I try to be smiley and happy because the only way I can get through the morning, because I am not a morning person. But that definitely uh, the the tone there got pretty intense. Joe DeGeneva did not did not mince words. Did not. Uh, Beat around the bush, but I look. I I think that it, it is it is generally very bothersome to me this campaign to say that uh, Attorney General Barr is a bad guy because we all know that the truth is that the liberals will never they, no Attorney General who is not an anti-Trump zealot and even an Attorney General who is acting Attorney General like Rosenstein who is an anti-Trump zealot who wanted to wear a wire who wanted to invoke the 25th Amendment now they say that he's not trustworthy there's no Attorney General that these people on the left would be okay with none so how can I take this the criticisms of Barr seriously well the answer is I don't because it's just all part of the narrative part of the undermining of the credibility of somebody who is in the administration right now and is doing a very effective job of doing the right thing and playing it by the book and not getting bullied and not backing down. I think Barr has been fantastic. And we should be thankful because, look, for all of Trump's great qualities, he has brought some stinkers into this administration. He just has, folks. You know it. I know it, too. Some stinkers into very senior positions. Barr is not one of them. Barr is rock solid.
When are Republicans going to learn that trashing their own side doesn't have the beneficial effects that they think it will? When are Republicans going to learn that not having Trump's back isn't something that they'll be rewarded for by the media over the long term? It doesn't mean that they're going to be able to bring the country together. There's not some healing that happens whenever they trash Trump, whenever they attack this president. All they do is play into the hands of the deranged left-wing media. That is all they are doing. They are giving the Democrats what they want. And Democrats don't do this. On the really big issues, you know, this, this is where we have lessons to learn from the power-hungry March in lockstep progressives. This is where the Democratic Party is an enviable political machine. They stay together when the going gets tough on issues that matter. And we always have the McCain factor, the Romney factor, the, you know, go down the line. These Republicans who at the key moment in the biggest political battles in the nation turn on their own side. Either, either leave, leave the uh, ideological battlefield, so to speak, or decide that they're going to fight for the other side. When do Democrats do this? Someone show me a time where the Democrats leave ranks when it really... Where are the Democrats who broke ranks on Obamacare? Find, find them for me, please. Oh, you mean that they all, with Prussian military precision, did exactly what Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House, wanted? That's right, they did even though many of them had to know that Obamacare was, one, being sold on false pretenses, was a lie, was a disaster, was a disaster waiting to happen. Why am I upset about this? I see this statement from Mitt Romney today, just trashing President Trump on Twitter. He writes, a quote, it was good news that Mueller's team found insufficient evidence to charge Trump. The business of government can move on. But then he went on with this, quote, even so... I am sickened at the extent and pervasiveness of dishonesty and misdirection by individuals in the highest office of the land, including the president. I'm also appalled that, among other things, fellow citizens working in a campaign for president welcomed help from Russia, including information that had been illegally obtained, that none of them acted to inform American law enforcement, and the campaign chairman was actively promoting Russian interests in Ukraine. I mean, Mitt, what do you think you're accomplishing here, buddy? What does he really think he's doing? Oh, he went on. Reading the report is a sobering revelation of how far we have strayed from the aspirations and principles of the founders. Now, I get it. This is where never Trumpers would come at me with Buck, but what Mitt's saying, I mean, you know, it's just, this is true. Like Trump, okay, guys, the Trump administration was in a fight for its life for two years completely ambushed, sandbagged, undercut, and just screwed over by the media and the Democrat Party. Working as part of a deep state coup to destroy this presidency. And, you know, they, they now want to, want to question the manner in which Trump had to fight back against this. And remember, legally, it was legal, folks. Trump did not break the law. But now we're supposed to be so upset about the fact that, you know, Trump got angry and wanted to roll up his sleeves and fight back. We're supposed to be so upset that during the campaign, I mean, now we're revisiting this again. 
the Trump people heard that there was information. I mean, what if, let's just say this, what if a Russian lady sat down with the, the Trump campaign and said, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a defector from the FSB. I have information that Hillary Clinton has been selling secrets to Russia. Here you go. That, are, are they supposed to say, oh, no, I don't know. We don't know about this. Oh, we, we can't take this information about you. Oh, no, no, can't do that. Sorry. They didn't know. They didn't know what was being offered. They didn't know the information. What if it was a, a check for a half a million dollars from a Russian government-backed bank to Bill Clinton? Oh, that's right. That did happen. Well, we're supposed to pretend that that's not a big deal. I mean, th- there's such a an effort to decontextualize everything that went on here in the campaign. Hillary Clinton violated the Espionage Act over 100 times, 100 separate counts plus. We're, we're supposed to just pretend that that was nothing. They had to rewrite the statute in real time. That's what Comey and Loretta Lynch did to get Hillary off. And we're supposed to worry about Trump taking immediate information that had been illegally obtained. Journalists traffic in illegally obtained information all the time. The New York Times, the Washington Post, they traffic in illegal leaks as often as they can, as long as it hurts Republicans or hurts the country. Sometimes they just want to hurt America because they're sickos. But now we're expecting this you know, Romney-esque Boy Scout attitude about, oh, I can't take that information during a very bitter presidential campaign because it was illegally obtained. The information was going to get out. either. They were going to blast it on the Internet, folks. Who cares at that point what, what the, you know, what, what the attitude is of the campaign? They're going to tell the they're going to tell the government. Oh, they're going to tell the. Oh, I'm sorry. They need to tell the FBI that was already investigating Trump and his campaign. They're going to go to that FBI to make sure that they know about this illegally obtained information. This whole thing is a joke, an unfunny joke, but. And that the campaign chairman was promoting Russian interests in Ukraine. Guess what, Mitt Romney? Not that anyone really seems to pay attention. Manafort was actually trying to bring a Russian backed political party in Ukraine more toward the Western point of view. Manafort actually could have been pretty helpful in some way. I'm not saying what he did was ethical, but. It's more complicated than people are led to believe. And, oh, Manafort wasn't sharing polling data with a Russian to all the imbeciles in the media. The guy was Ukrainian. Stop saying he was Russian. Facts are supposed to matter, but they don't matter to the media. Romney, what are you doing, dude? Et tu, Romney, et tu. There's been a lot of focus on, on justice this week, and really, I would say injustice in the case of the two-year-long witch hunt against Donald Trump. It was it was a witch hunt. It was all on a false premise. That was a very accurate description of it. And for the historically illiterate Democrats out there, witch hunts did find people guilty. There was, oh, does a witch hunt find a dozen people? Actually, yeah, you idiots. Witch hunts do find people guilty. That's the whole point, is that it's not about finding the guilty. It's about finding anybody because of the hysteria. But... There's some other issues of justice that came up this week, and uh, they're trending in the right direction. We have not achieved full justice yet. But for one, George Mason University, I am very pleased, very proud to say George Mason University has decided to, from what I see so far, this could change. It could change even you know right after I say this on air. 
Uh, but they're going to keep Justice Kavanaugh te- uh, teaching a summer course. They're, they're not going to cave to the mob on this one. People, oh, it makes me feel unsafe. Makes you feel unsafe to have a sitting Supreme Court justice. Think about how stupid that is, by the way. I mean, the, the, the allegations against him are from the 80s. So we're going on like 40 years ago here. And there are ridiculous allegations that did not happen. And we all know it. And these women are liars. And there's all that, right? So you start with that. But that's going to make a student feel unsafe today. I mean, this, 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 this theory is based on you can't, you can't learn from a guy who, even if what the one person said was true, uh, what's her name, Blasey Ford, and she's, she's just, she's, I think, honestly disturbed. Um, but he tried, he, gra- he grabbed a girl when he was drunk uh, in like 1983, maybe. And so college students today feel unsafe. That's, and that's the, only, that's the only allegation that's even vaguely, even vaguely possible. I wouldn't call it credible, even vaguely possible. And it's not possible. I think it's a lie. But you're going to feel unsafe today because of that? Oh, my gosh. I can't study with Kavanaugh because of the allegations against him. These students are just, just a bunch of wackos. But as we know, it's also part of there are, there are organized groups behind this. There are these left-wing groups that will uh, use social media and will gather together online to weaponize college students for the purposes of, you know, attacking favorite targets of the left. You know, and you have to always remember there are these groups out there like Media Matters. And Media Matters is one of the most disgusting and dishonorable public interest organizations in the country. I mean, it's just it's just an attack. It's an oppo research dumping uh, ground and smear and boycott machine for the Democrat National Committee. That's all it is. And people who work at Media Matters should be ashamed of what they do because it is shameful. They don't they're not educating the public. They're not they're not making good faith arguments. They're not serving any honorable purpose. They're a disgrace an out and out utter disgrace. So. Now that I've said my piece about that, uh, I, I would just point out that George Mason sticking with Kavanaugh, even though you got people like this guy, Brian Fallon, who is a former Hillary Clinton advisor, you know, all, all these people from Clinton world, they're so bitter. Oh, they're so nasty because they thought that they were just going to just waltz right into the White House, get that big fancy office. Eight years of love from the media and all these big D.C. parties. Oh, that's right. The cliched D.C. Georgetown Colorama cocktail party circuit, baby. That's what was going to happen for eight years when Hillary got into office. That's what they thought. Uh-oh. Happy learned how to putt. Hillary didn't win. Hillary didn't win. But Brian Fallon said here, quote, George Mason's, uh, Mason's decision... To stick by Kavanaugh despite student protests seems like it must be donor-driven. The Kochs and the Federalist Society gave the school a combined $30 million in 2016 alone. My friends, no, I think George Mason's decision is driven by the fact that it's absurd. Completely absurd. Not, not worthy of serious intellectual response that students would feel triggered and unsafe. That's what they're saying. They feel unsafe and triggered by a sitting Supreme Court justice teaching them a, a class. They are so lucky. And I think, I look, to be fair, I think most of the George Mason University students know this. But they're so lucky to have that opportunity. Someone with not just the legal mind 
but the the background and and the the personal experience of dealing with the law at the very highest level of this country at, at truly the highest level lucky to be studying with them and they're going to try to shut that down because they've watched you know too much of the uh, Colbert report or whatever at night trashing Trump it's total total nonsense just it's just idiocy absolute idiocy so that's one bit of justice they're standing by Kavanaugh for the course I got another one for you a little bit of a justice roundup this week remember Jussie Smollett yeah, that's right. He was in Hawaii recently. I'm not letting this go, folks. I know you're like Buck or you're really. That's right. I am like a, a, a pit bull that's latched onto a bone here, my friends. I'm not letting this go. Because the Jussie Smollett thing, the only justice that we really can get is to shame those who were part of letting him get away with it, which is what he did. He got away with it. And I don't think there's going to be any real justice there at all. There are gonna, there's not going to be any justice for Jussie, because justice would mean that he has to pay for what he did. Pay literally, as in write out a check for 120 grand, which is what he should have to do. Uh, but also, it should be on his record that he's a liar. I, I don't think he's going to go to jail forever and all this stuff. I'm not some, I'm not, I'm not a leftist, so I'm not a wacko. But it should be on record that what he did was wrong and that he's a liar. And that if he gets in trouble with the law again, he's going to spend, he's going to do some real time. I mean, I think he could have spent 30 days in the county lockup for what he did. I think I think that would have been about right. If you're asking me what would be fair for what he did, yeah, I'd say I'd say spend a spend a month in a cell. That seems and have a record. That seems right to me. Maybe two weeks, but maybe a month. Something. Some of you are probably yelling six months, Buck. You're such a wimp. I know. I know. When it comes to criminal justice, sometimes when it comes to nonviolent offenses, I and this is this is a nonviolent offense. Although I guess he. No, that's right. The, the the violence was done to him, but he wanted it to be done to him, but it wasn't even really violence. I think he hit himself in the face. We don't even know. Uh, did the Nigerian brothers like slap him a little bit? I'm not sure. We, I don't know if we ever got clarity on that. But yes, when it comes to nonviolent crimes, I can be a bit of a softy. So maybe those of you yelling six months, Buck, okay, maybe you're right. But I say two, two to four weeks would have been a fair sentence for him. And, uh, you know, he got away with it. But why am I bringing it up? Other than I just like to remind you all of the media aiding and abetting that hoax from beginning to end and, and abetting his escape afterwards, escape from justice. Well, there are some people who still have some ethics left. This just came in today. Fox News with the story. Two ranking executives inside the Cook County State Attorney's Office have submitted their resignation including state's attorney Kim Fox's chief ethics officer, April Perry, whom Fox cited as the person who advised her to recuse herself from the Jussie Smollett case that has rocked the Chicago office. This is according to uh, Fox earlier today. Mark Rotert, the director of the office's Conviction Integrity Unit, has also submitted his resignation, according to a Fox. Now, remember, this is a Fox story, but this is F-O-X-X Fox because that's the uh, prosecutor's name. Fox spokesperson Perry and Rotert are scheduled to work their last days in May. Quote, while I feel lucky to have been able to spend the 15 years of my career in public service, I'm looking forward to my next endeavor. Uh, okay, that's not exciting. Sorry, I didn't need to read that part to you, but that's from the resignation letter. Obviously, they're not trying to be too caustic toward uh, Kim Fox, the prosecutor on the way out. But I mean, what she did was just just outrageous outrageous seal the case 
No penalty for Jussie. We got text messages where she's like, he's a stupid actor who lied. We all know he lied. Everyone knows he lied. But Jussie now walks around saying, I didn't lie. Uh-uh. Sorry, not, not, not letting this one go. We either all live by the same laws or we don't. You know, the law, and this, this ties into a lot of what we're seeing, ties into our discussions and, uh, and our, our policy debates over the border right now and immigration. It ties in certainly to everything that is Russia collusion related. The law is every bit as much a, a binding agent for our nation and for us as Americans as our language is and as our culture is. I mean, in fact, our law is rooted in language, obviously, and our culture is very much affected by the law. And in, and in fact, the, our, our culture and the law really go hand in hand in many ways. You know, no one ever pulled you aside um, unless you went to law school and walked you through all the different statutes. And and yet we all have this understanding of what's legal, what's not, you know, what 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 the law says. We we just know we pick it up from our from our lives. We pick it up from the culture around us, what the law is. And yet now we look at what's happening in this country and there's a two-tiered system of justice in place. Those for the connected, the politically favored, and the politically powerful. Politically powerful and favored are not always the same thing. But for the politically favored and politically powerful, there's one set of laws, and for everyone else, there's something else. And Jussie Smollett is a very good example of that. He was politically favored and politically connected, and so he got away with it. That there are some people for whom this was too much to stomach, at least that's somewhat reassuring for the Cook County Prosecutor's Office, but it's not enough. It's not enough. I plan to stay on this story. Buck the pit bull with the bone. We'll be right back. Uh, as somebody who uh, is very familiar from my military training with weapons of war, somebody who uh, carried a rifle and a pistol uh, around a foreign land on the orders of a president, um, there are some weapons that just don't belong in our neighborhoods in peacetime in America. And we've already decided that this is within the Second Amendment because uh, we've decided that somewhere in between a slingshot and a nuclear weapon, we can draw a line. And that's not unconstitutional, it's common sense. And that's why I think assault rifles need to be on the table too. Oh, I love how uh, Mayor Pete just throws that in there at the end. Yeah, it's all right. We're going to got to ban them. This is part of what you're seeing play out now where the candidates are all trying to outmaneuver each other from the left, from the Democrat side. And so everything that, you know, you, you every stereotypical far left position that they're all going to run away from when they want to try to, you know, win that last two or three percentage points of the country of the voting public in a few important states, right? That's they're all going to pretend like, oh no, no, we like guns. Democrats like guns too, Ohio Ohioans. Democrats like guns too, Hoosiers, which I just like to say because now I know that they're called Hoosiers. What's up, whoa, whoa? Um, you know, Democrats like guns too, Pennsylvanians, but they don't. They don't. And Mayor Pete's construction here, I would I would say first that he carried. I mean, I, I also carried a, a long gun and a sidearm in a foreign country on the orders of the president. And guess what? 
doesn't mean that I inherently know more about the Second Amendment than other people. It doesn't mean that I have different Second Amendment rights than anybody else. Uh, it does mean that we should be able to have a serious discussion about what Mayor Pete's really saying here. And he's, I, I think, just being disingenuous because he's smart enough to know. And I, I do give credit where it's due. I mean, I, I everything points to him being a, a very, very bright guy, speaks a lot of languages. You know, unlike a lot of the Democrats who are just just kind of dumb, honestly, a lot of the very prominent Democrats out there are just not not impressive, not very bright. Uh, Mayor Pete's a smart guy and he knows better. I, I'd like to think he knows better than to just say, well, you know, it's like, uh, you know, slingshot versus a nuclear weapon. Yeah, OK, there is constitutional jurisprudence that's already been that has already been decided on this. And it stretches all the way back to the American founding, stretches all, all the way back to the origin and the era of the Bill of Rights, which is weapons in common usage. This is what came up in the D.C. v. Heller case, where here in the swamp, where I am, the District of Columbia, the decision had been made that by the government authorities, the local authorities, that you could not have a gun uh, of any kind in your home. And they just would not issue permits for guns in the home. And this is where you get into, okay, well, that's just now a complete abrogation. I mean, that's an elimination of a constitutionally protected right, which local governments can't do. They can't just say, sorry, your constitutional rights don't apply. The First Amendment doesn't apply in, although they do that too, in this city or this town. Well, the issue came up, and Scalia wrote about this in the majority opinion of weapons in common usage. And this is why even at the at the American founding, yeah, it would not have been considered common usage for you to have a a foundry made cannon in your backyard so maybe some restrictions on that would be uh at least something that judicial judicial review could look at but you know a musket is a musket and everybody had muskets and now the common usage firearm really the the most common rifle in in america is the uh, ar-15 so it is, by definition, because it is the most commonly owned rifle, it is in common usage, which means that it is covered under Second Amendment jurisprudence. I just, I think that Mayor Pete has to know that, but he also is trying to stick out and trying to get ahead in a far left field of Democrats who are anti-gun. And they're not anti-gun because they think it's going to, no serious person, There, there is no real argument for an assault rifle ban is going to stop violence in cities. It's just not. There, there's no data to back that up at all. You have a tiny, tiny fraction of murders in this country every year committed with rifles, a tiny fraction. So why do they want to ban assault, assault rifles? Because it makes them feel good. Because Democrats feel morally superior to their political opponents, which means you and me, when they can say, we banned assault rifles. We don't like weapons of war on our streets. Mayor Pete's also smart enough to know that he wasn't carrying a, I'm, I'm assuming, he was not carrying a semi-automatic rifle when he was in a war zone. He was carrying a fully automatic, most likely M4, when he was abroad. A weapon that I'm also very familiar with from my time training with and carrying that rifle. So... That's not even it's if you're really going to be specific about this a weapon of war, then in the context of a rifle would be a fully automatic. And yes, there are restrictions on that. 
there are restrictions on whether you can have a fully automatic rifle. You have to get a special federal license, and you know some of you listening to this know much more about that than I do because you've gone through that process. Uh, but there's just a lot of disingenuousness on the on the uh, talk about assault rifles and the left now trying to just they're just trying to get donations going. And Eric Swalwell, one other thing, you know, Congressman Swalwell, who made his name, uh, he made his name by being part of the Russia collusion delusion and being on TV every five minutes to say that, you know, they're going to get Trump on this. They're going to Trump on that. Uh, It turns out that uh, Swalwell wants to debate the head of the NRA, and that's not going to happen. It's Ollie North. But I saw Dana Lash, my old colleague and friend Dana Lash, has offered publicly to debate Swalwell on guns. And he goes, oh, I'm not going to debate an underling. Bark, 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 bark. I think Swalwell is chicken, folks. Because I think he knows Dana Lash would serve him up like a roast chicken in a debate. And he would have no shot whatsoever to uh, come out on top of that one. So I'm hoping Swalwell takes Dana up on her public offer to debate him. We'll see if that happens. Beto, I was really inspired to see that you said you would not take money from fossil fuel executives. But I looked it up and you did. You took the max contribution from eight different fossil fuel industry CEOs and executives and a lobbyist from Chevron on March 29th. And that just makes it hard for us to believe that you're going to keep your promises to address the climate crisis. Will you prove it today by returning that dirty money and signing the no fossil fuel money pledge? Thanks for the, the question. Appreciate it. So you're right. I was just told as we drove in that we accepted on, on one of the last days of the FEC filing period a check from a lobbyist. We are returning that check from the lobbyist because... Yes, I'm like so excited to answer the question where you're calling me out for hypocrisy because Beto is all about total authenticity, which is why I'm going to do a listening tour without a shirt on, playing guitar, going town to town, city to city, and I'm not trying to steal your girlfriend, I promise. American males, I'm not trying to steal your girlfriend. Um, Yeah, Beto caves in here, says that he uh, he did take money from an oil and gas lobbyist, and now he's going to return that dirty money because uh, climate change. This is a frustration for me, folks, because we're going to see all the crazy Democrat stuff because this is their primary and this is what's going to happen. We're, we're going to see all the crazy climate change nonsense. Let's see this just continue to, you know, to, to do what they do with all this stuff. And, and we're thinking, oh, my gosh, this is going to be such an easy pathway to victory because any normal human being who is not completely brainwashed by left wing crazy, uh, any normal person is going to say, I, I can't put these people in charge of the country. These Democrats, they're they're insane. I mean, they're, they're so they're so left wing. They're so out there. Uh, look at the stuff that they say about the Green New Deal. Look at what Beto says about taking money from a lobbyist that has money from oil and gas. I mean, oil and gas is the, is, is so demonized uh, by the left, even though if you were to make a list of the wonderful things in life, if you were to make a list of the effect, and I, I really mean this, the effect that fossil fuels have had on every aspect of our day-to-day lives and how beneficial they are, that that fossil fuels are the are the necessary precondition 
for a modern economy, that we have had people that have been saved in, I mean, I, you know, you can't even really quantify it. I was going to say millions of lives have been saved by fossil fuels. Probably, it's probably more than that. I, I can't even begin when you add in all the products, all the productivity, all the transportation, all the heat, all the, I mean, all these things that are only possible because of fossil fuels. And they just treat it like it's this evil thing. It's so terrible. I mean, this is, if you're trying to find a way to hate yourself, to hate your society for the prosperity that it enjoys, you, you won't do better than fossil fuel because it's central, central to the prosperity that we enjoy. It is central to all of the benefits of a modern economy. And the left views it as some kind of sin that we must do penance for. The left views it as, as some, uh, some terrible uh, scourge that has to be eliminated over time. And that's why when Beto's like, I'm just going to get rid of all the money from fossil fuels. Uh, you think to yourself, well, this guy's just silly. But they're going to move away from this stuff in the general election. That's the problem. And the media will try to put this stuff all down them all, all out of the memory banks. They're going to do what they've they're going to do what they've done with Russia collusion. Well, this is the biggest talk about fossil fuels. The biggest gaslighting campaign I've ever seen in my lifetime is the media now saying, oh, we didn't really promise that there was going to be collusion proven here. Yeah, yeah you did. Yeah, you did. Night after night, show after show, segment after segment. You were leading your audience's mainstream media to believe that collusion was going to be proven. It was just a matter of how soon and, and how much. Instead, of course, we know that it wasn't proven at all. But this wacky left-wing Democrat party that is out in the open for us now, remember that it's going to get a whole new coat of paint when it comes to general elections. It's going to be all about, oh, we just want to give you free health care and free this and free that. The Green New Deal, though, is where, the, is where their insanity really bubbles up to the surface in a way that no one can ignore it. Uh, they're going to walk away from the Green New Deal, which is why Pelosi understands this. She knows I mean, the smarter, or I should say savvier Democrats understand that this is all just meant for public consumption within the radical left right now. This is all meant to just get, this is meant to be a fight among leftists for the base of the Democratic Party. Um, but they're going to walk away from it. So we, we can't get too excited. We can't, you know, be too psyched about the prospect of running against a Democrat Party that's banning cow farts and air travel and all this other stuff that we saw from the AOC Green New Deal debacle because they're going to act like these conversations right now or something like Beto uh, is immediately bending the knee when someone brings up, oh, you took money from a fossil fuel lobbyist? That's going to go away. You know, that's going to that's gonna be, a, they're going to be a slightly different Democrat party. But speaking of go away, man, I mean, we talked about Mayor Pete before. All these, uh, all these different stories I see here. This is in Politico. Why the media dumped Beto for Mayor Pete and Fox News. Beto O'Rourke, no longer the shiny new candidate, says he's still in a good place. Man, Beto, you know, he thought because he he wrote he thought that he wrote the Democrats a a song that was just about them, and it's not a song that he wrote for anybody else, and he just wants to play it on his guitar in the corner of the house party, but 
he totally is not like making a move on you. He just wants to look in your eyes and sing emotional lyrics that he totally wrote for you, not anybody else. Promises. Uh, turns out that wasn't enough, Beto. Mayor Pete came along with his far superior resume and actual intersectional credibility because he is a, a, a gay American. So he does fall into a category that intersectional the intersectional left views as a necessary diversity candidate. Uh, you know, they, they want to have different people represented from all the different groups in this country that intersectionality focuses on. Beto maybe changed his name to sound more intersectional, but nope, does not count. Does not count. Um, and then you also have the problem where Beto gave, uh, wait, here, here I want to make sure I get this one, get this one totally correct. Student asked Beto O'Rourke why he gave less to charity than her sister who just graduated at the University of Virginia. <laughs> Beto's cheap. That's why. Beto's a multimillionaire. He married a super gajillionaire. And Beto and his wife gave $1,166, 0.3% of their income to charity. By far the lowest amount revealed in any of the recent tax returns that have been shared by the 2020 presidential candidates. Elizabeth Warren gave 50000 out of an income of 905000 5.5%. Look, but Warren, I'm... I'm I'm fair-minded. Warren's uh, charitable giving is respectable. She also knew, not to be overly cynical, folks, but she also knew that she was going to release her returns and she was running for president. She's been running for president in her own mind for the last 10 years. But, yeah, 5% five, 5 is, is respect. I mean, on a million dollars of income, so it's not like they're hurting for money. 5% is respectable. Uh, $1,000 when you're worth millions and millions and millions, that is not respectable. And if it's really like World War II level sacrifice that you're calling for, that's what he says. He says he wants World War II level sacrifice to be what the American people embrace. I'm sorry, $1,000, Beto, just doesn't cut it. That's like not even the price of a new... Actually, I have no idea how much a new good acoustic guitar costs. Do you know, John? I have no idea. What, was, what does an acoustic guitar cost? What is a new, what is a new fancy skateboard cost? Probably like 300 bucks, right? That's... I have, I have no idea what a skateboard costs. I'm, I'm guessing here, if I do a quick skateboard search, you know, what is it? What is a new fancy skateboard? Yeah, it's a couple. It's a few hundred bucks, a couple hundred bucks. Okay. So Beto gave the equivalent of like a couple of skateboards to charity. That's not enough, Beto. Not when you're telling the rest of us that we can't live the lives we're leading and we're a bunch of fat cats need to give more to charity. But Democrats want to be charitable with your money. See, that's the way statists always want to do it. That's the way the Marxist ideology inflicts itself on your pocketbook. Got to give your stuff to other people. It's not their stuff. They gave it's your stuff. I have a classic get off my lawn moment to share with all of you. As some of you know, probably because I, I don't like excessive noise. I don't like people who are inconsiderate. Uh, I don't like fidgeting. I don't like whistling. You know, it, people who spend time around me know that while I'm a, a very gregarious and, and understanding and warm fellow, I, I also expect people to behave in a, in a certain way. 
And I include strangers in that. I don't just mean people that I know. I mean just everybody. And this is one of the reasons why I sometimes avoid certain public venues or uh, activities where you're exposed to people who sometimes just act like barbarians. I'm just going to say it. And music concerts, I think, are a particularly common source of bad behavior. Uh, live theater, oh my gosh. I, hello, I'm taking a phone call right now because there are people up on stage doing this. I think it's not cats, is it? What, what am I listening? Oh no, it's Ham, it's Hamilton. It's ha no way, it's not Hamilton. It's, it's, Hedwig and the Angry Inch. I don't know what play I'm in, actually. No idea, but I think people are looking at me because... You know what? This is what they do, and this is what they do in the in the theaters, you know? No, actually, it's 42nd Street. I think I'm watching 42nd Street, but I can't really see because the lights are in my eyes. Um, yeah. People do things like that. I always remember when Kevin Williamson wrote a piece about how he got up at a theater... And took a phone out of somebody's hand who kept taking phone calls during a play and threw it across the room. Now, aggressive might get you sent to jail for the night, not for long, but I'm with him in spirit. Well, it turns out I have a fellow curmudgeon when it comes to the way people should act when they're at a live event of any kind. And that fellow curmudgeon is the one and only Mr. Bill O'Reilly. He recently on his show, the Bill O'Reilly, as the O'Reilly Factor or the Bill O'Reilly Show Online, whatever whatever the specific name is. But Mr. O'Reilly was at a Fleetwood Mac concert. And let me just say, that's his first mistake. Because that's right, I'm going to tell you guys this, and I don't care how much you get mad at me for it. Fleetwood Mac, very overrated. Oh, I know, I've just ruined some of your youths. Youths. But uh, Fleetwood Mac, very overrated. You are a rude, terrible person. I, I deserve that, and I, I agree. But Bill was talking about how a bunch of millennials were not acting properly out in public. Play 17. The music of Fleetwood Mac is classic. It's timeless. And there are some songs where you want to jump up and dance, and that's fine. That's fine. But the millennial Generation Z people would never sit down. From the time it started to the time it ended, they were standing up. And there were people behind them. You know, some of these people were 75, 80. And they couldn't see. And the millennials didn't care. Not at all. Because I saw confrontations. I actually had one, but the, the garden ushers liked me, all right, because I've been going there for many years. But this drunken guy stands right next to me in my party on the aisle. Not He didn't have a seat. He just kind of ran down, stood on the aisle, weaving like this. And I said, hey, sir, you're you know, blocking our vision. And, and, you know, I gave him a look. And then I stood up, all six foot four of me, and he ran away. And then the usher came and said, do you want me to? I said, no, just make sure he doesn't come back. I like how Bill's like all six foot four of me, like, what is he, he's going to manhandle these kids? <laughs> I like it. I'm going to lambaste you, son. Oh, man. But I'm, look, I'm with Bill. On, I'm with him on this. It is very annoying. It is very annoying when you are at any live event and people think, and there are seats that, that human beings are supposed to sit in, but some people think they're going to stand the whole time. 
you know, because guess what? Some people can't stand the whole time or don't want to stand the whole time, but they also don't want to stare at your behind the whole time. So I'm with Bill on this, and this is why this is why we can't have nice things. This is why we can't get nice concerts. I went to a concert some years ago, and it was before the concert started and all the lights were on, and it was a standing-only venue, so there were no seats or anything. And I was there. I was there with a, with a date uh, at the time. And I, we're just standing. We're just talking. And a guy tapped me on the shoulder from behind me. I mean, and he looked like somebody who sells glassware on the road for a living. I mean, I, I will say that. So I probably shouldn't be surprised. But he tapped me on the shoulder. And he goes, hey, can you just stop moving your head so much? And I looked at him and I was so taken aback. Because there was no music, there was nothing happening. There was an empty stage and there were just people milling about. But he was standing behind me looking at the stage like the show had already started. It had not. There was not a, it was not a warm-up band. There was nobody on the stage. And he told me to stop moving my head, which I had not been moving. I was not dancing. I don't know what he was smoking or injecting or crushing up and snorting. But it was some really powerful stuff, I can tell you that. Oh, man, people are just, you know, there are certain things, folks. And here's another one for those of you who are saying, oh, I'm going to go to the Fleetwood Mac concert, book because Fleetwood Mac is great. Please. <laughs> Fleetwood Mac. Ugh. I know, but see, then you're going to say, Buck, you probably listen to Dave Matthews Band, don't you? You probably have nostalgia for Dave Matthews Band. I'll say that's true. And you know what? Dave Matthews Band is the Fleetwood Mac of old millennials and gener and Generation Y and uh, Generation X. That's right. That's right. Boomers are to Fleetwood Mac as Gen uh, Gen X and Y and and millennials are to Dave Matthews Band. I, I can't remember. It's Gen Gen Y must come after Gen X, right? So people that are born in the late seventies and early eighties and in the mid eighties, yeah. We all we all secretly like Dave Matthews Band. I know you're saying, Buck, I don't like Dave Matthews Band, but you're you're just kidding yourself. It's like people who pretend that they don't like any Nickelback songs. You like some Nickel? Stop lying. Just stop lying. You like Nickelback songs. But the other rule that I have: don't do this thing where you go to anything that's a live event and take out your camera and take a grainy video of it. You never watch the video you take on your phone. Okay? You don't. Do it. No one does it. We all think we might. Oh, this will be a memory that lasts forever. The video looks like crap. The audio is terrible. And everybody around you, behind you, has to stare now at this light that you're holding up, especially if it's in supposed to, what's supposed to be kind of a darkened room and create an atmospheric effect. And they got to stare now at the light you're holding up in your hand. No, no, no. No standing the whole time when there are seats and no holding up video camera phone mode thing when you should be enjoying a live event this is get off my lawn and i have spoken bill o'reilly style i'll be right back team we often talk about how crazy things get on campus here on the show it's one of the reasons why we have partnered with the leadership institute because we want to actually fight back but i need to tell you about the latest incident of campus craziness and this one involves our new friend, Michael Knowles, from The Daily Wire. He's a senior writer over there. He's also the host of The Michael Knowles Show. And uh, he's going to tell us what happened to him. Michael, happy Friday, my friend. Good to talk to you. Buck, thanks for having me on. 
So uh, what happened to you, my man? You you went to a college campus and they did not respect the uh, the Socratic virtues. <laughs> they decided that they were going to take a different approach. That's putting it pretty mildly. I was invited to give a speech at the University of Missouri, Kansas City. The topic I was invited to speak on, very, very controversial. It was called Men Are Not Women. Now, this these days, very apparently provocative. It'd be like giving a speech on how the sky is blue or two plus two equals four. I mean, I feel triggered right. I feel triggered right now, but you can keep talking. (laughs) You know, I expected this to be basically the most boring speech I've ever given. I'm stating basic facts of nature. And I go into the room and I notice immediately there are about a dozen left wing looking students. You know, you can kind of tell they have the blue hair and that sort of thing. Yes, they're they're both very angry facially and also very obviously based on dress and decorum incels, but continue. (laughs) Yeah, two things go together a lot. And so I start speaking. From the very moment I start speaking, they begin to scream like maniacs, screaming ceaselessly like banshees. You, You can't really hear it in the video because the microphone's going to the broadcast. People in the room who came to hear the talk could not hear over the screaming. This went on for about 20 minutes. Finally, they decide to leave. They walk out. Someone unlocks a fire door in the back, and some masked Antifa weirdo jumps in and sprays me with a super soaker full of some unknown chemical substance. Smelled a little strange, had a weird color to it. Fortunately, the police were able to get this guy down quickly. There were reports initially that it was paint, which is kind of what I thought it was. Then a number of people started saying that it was bleach. It looks as though it was some non-toxic combination of household chemicals. But, of course, either way, it's a warning shot. It's saying that if a conservative goes to campus, you're going to get shouted down. And ultimately, if you don't shut up, you might be physically assaulted. I, I, would, I would have guessed that it might have been something else initially, my friend. I'm glad your, your thought didn't go right there, but... I mean, and the and the idea that it's sterile would only have given me a, a, a tiny bit of <laughs> a tiny bit of reprieve. I got to tell you, th- there have been some rumors that there there are many unsavory things in whatever they shot at me. I'm going to keep that out of my mind as long as I possibly can to uh, to convince myself to go back to these campuses. But you, know, the next morning, instead of getting an apology, which is what I expected from either the chancellor of the university or the people putting it together. Instead of that, a letter went out from the chancellor, Molly Agrawal, smearing me baselessly as some sort of bigot, calling my view that men are not women extreme, and encouraging the students who got up and screamed from the very beginning, basically endorsing the heckler's veto and saying that invited speakers on campus should be shouted down and harassed perhaps not physically assaulted, but the implication being, I think, that I brought it on myself. You know, I was wearing a short skirt, and I was basically asking for it. Well, I mean, if you were wearing a short skirt, as we know, male, female, we, we can, there, there's no differentiation that can be made here, <laughs> so it's not, you know, you never know what... Probably, I think I would have gotten a better reception had I been wearing the skirt, but nonetheless, th- that, that was the message that went out from this chancellor, basically to say... Hey, listen, conservatives, we don't have your back. We're going to turn a blind eye to assaults. We're going to encourage heckler's vetoes, and we're going to be utterly intolerant 
of any other point of view than our leftist orthodoxy. This is a disgrace to higher education. This chancellor certainly should resign or be fired. This is the state of liberal education in the United States. Are you going to have to press charges now, by the way, for the mysterious substance that was sprayed on you? I mean, I, I'm somebody who, look, I'm I'm all about letting bygones be bygones. Uh, but actually, I'm also somebody who believes in justice and consequences for uh, behavior like this. And, and if there isn't any consequence for somebody to assault a, an invited campus speaker, you're just putting the next person at risk. And maybe the next time it will be bleach. Right. So so where's the legal status of this? That is my issue here. I, I'm with you. I would let it go. I can take a punch. It, it doesn't bother me personally as much. But th- that is the question. First of all, it's up to the prosecutors, and there's a ton of video of this guy physically assaulting a speaker and resisting arrest and a whole other slur. But on the are, other hand, is, are there any CNN stories yet posted where they say, Video appears to show. <laughs> I always love that. Like, video appears to show a guy getting punched in the face. No, no, I'm pretty sure the video shows him getting punched in the face. No, no, it'll say conservative speaker pounces on video showing him getting assaulted allegedly by a super soccer chemical. It is your fault for pouncing after after you were sprayed so you know that that is something to keep that's something to keep in mind did you was it really from from your perspective was it the the topic which is great by the way men are not women was it the topic <laughs> that triggered the libs so much or is it your affiliation with the uh the formidable fellow known as ben shapiro that you know you're just like you're just part of his little band of of merry avengers and the left freaks out or is it a combination what why why they get so because you seem like a very you know, uh, non-threatening, nice dude who wants to have a talk with people. You know, I don't get it. <laughs> I know. I've always thought I'm a pretty genial guy. I, I didn't know I was so intimidating. I think there is part of that, obviously, that neo-Nazi Orthodox Jew Ben Shapiro gets screwed in the press all the time. So I think probably my reputation preceded me for that association. But I do think there's something special about this issue, this very basic fact of nature that men are not women and women are not men. There's something in particular that inflames the left about this, because it goes to the heart of so many of their fantasies. It goes to the heart of so much of their ideology, not just not just transgenderism, but intersectionality, the questions of, of objective reality, of subjective feelings, of oppression, of victimhood. This basic fact I think cuts to the heart of that, and so they are they they pass on it because if the left can convince you that men are not women, they can convince you of everything. They can define all of reality. There's a line in Alice in Wonderland. Humpty Dumpty says, "In my language, words mean whatever I say they mean." And Alice says, "Can you do that? Can words mean just whatever you want them to?" And Humpty Dumpty says, "That's not the question. The question is which is to be master." And the left is trying to be master by redefining all of reality. And we conservatives are not letting them do it. We say, no, reality will reassert itself. And they go mad when we tell them that basic truth. Did anyone even try to make a case as to why women are men and men are women? Or did they just make like animal noises at you? They literally made animal noises. They literally just shrieked. Because, of course, there's no argument. If they had an argument, they wouldn't need to shout down and silence and censor and assault speakers who were invited to campus. If they had an argument, we'd make our argument, they'd make their argument, and they would be seen to be correct. 
but they don't have that. They seem not even to uh, accept the premises of logic and rational argument anyway. Uh, that obviously is at the heart of liberal education. So it's so worrisome when universities behave this way. And, and the most troubling aspect of all is that the chancellor of the university, who should be teaching these kids, who should know better, who should defend liberal education, he's the one who's most loudly of all encouraging them and egging them on. And I just want to tell you something, Michael. We, we, did, we did a pretty deep dive fact check and and your your talk, men are not women, has been awarded zero Pinocchios, uh, zero Pinocchios. Fact check, true. Men are not women. So I wanted you to know that we 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 put our resources to make sure that we got the right answer here. Well, that's good. I think the Washington Post gave me about seven Pinocchios. They consulted a, a slew of gender theory professors, all of whom insist that men are women and women are men. Talk about an, an irony too. The left is always assailing the right to say that we're denying science and because they talk about global warming or whatever. Then we go and we state the most basic fact of nature, and they absolutely lose their mind. Somebody tells me, I think they're the ones maybe denying science. There we go, everybody. Michael Knowles, you can uh, check out his stuff at uh, The Daily Wire and also listen to The Michael Knowles Show, available on fine iTunes platforms all over the place. Mr. Knowles, great to, great to make your acquaintance. Please come back soon. Buck, great to talk to you. Team, we'll be right back. Hey, Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call. It is bittersweet that I come on now to tell you that it is the end of the show, the end of another week, so I won't get to talk to you, team, for a couple of days. But that all said, this roll call also means that everybody's been working for the weekend, and the weekend is, in fact, here. I'd be willing to guess that a lot of you are listening to this on the weekend already, because you listen via podcast which is always a fun way to do things so my friends facebook.com slash buck sexton that's how you do roll call you know how we roll and uh yes indeed i am gonna get a big boy email though that will happen big boy email it's all for buck the big boy email we're gonna get it set up for the show it's gonna be amazing it's gonna be fantastic I should really work on my Trump so that I can say it's going to be amazing. The best email anyone has ever had. That's, uh, you got, I got to be able to do the, the facial gestures and the hand gestures for the Trump. It doesn't really work otherwise. All righty. Uh, William sent me a photo of him outside of the Nine Line Apparel store in uh, Savannah, Georgia. Look at that. Very cool, William. Um, I really like the Nine Line folks, and I'm glad that you were able to go check out their uh, very large, very cool store. Karen, just made scramble eggs your way. Wow, the super low heat really makes a difference. Karen, welcome to the scrambled egg revolution. It's true. For those who don't know, your scramble eggs will be better if you just do this very simple thing. Cook them very slowly 
And the moment you think you have too much heat in that pan, you take the heat off the, I mean, you take the pan off the heat source. Do not try to just adjust the temperature because the any kind of direct heat, if you're already getting too high, is uh, going to mean that you're, you're going to overcook them. That's the number one thing people do that I think is a problem when it comes to their cooking of, of eggs, particularly eggs of the scrambled variety, which is my favorite, is that they overcook them. They turn them into those little rubbery looking things. You know, they kind of curdle up and they get all rubbery and hard and you could throw them against the wall and they'll bounce around. You don't want that. You want delicious, perfectly cooked eggs. You want rubbery, ridiculous eggs. So go low heat. Now, some people say that, Buck, if you're going to crack the eggs in, in the pan directly, you're, you're a, a savage. And to that I say, well, I'm a savage who doesn't have to worry about making a big mess. You know, with my whole bowl and people that do the whole thing, they little bowl and they, uh, you know, stir it all up in there. That's for omelets, my friend, not for scrambled eggs. Scrambled egg, the way to do it is put a little piece of paper towel down on your kitchen counter next to your heat source. Obviously not on the heat source. That would be, ow, burn yourself. Not good. And you put that paper towel, just, just one sheet, and you crack the egg flats, you know, on the flat surface of the counter. And then you go right into the pan. One, two, three. That's the way to do it. And then you've already, the cleanup is easy. You just got a little paper towel. You throw that away. You're gonna go. If you crack it on the edge of the pan, you are much more likely to get eggshell in your egg. And folks, nobody likes that, you know, when you crunch into the, no one likes that. Nobody wants that. All right. Everybody wants to be eating those eggs perfect, uh, perfectly cooked perfectly cooked i don't know why english got hard for me there anyway karen you can tell i'm very passionate about the subject the other thing i try to convince people of because i know i'm right is that they should eat thick cut bacon don't eat that i mean look all bacon is good this is like all chocolate all chocolate is good too and whether you're eating a hershey's bar or you're eating something from maison du chocolat which is a great place to go if you want to spend about five dollars per tiny little piece of chocolate and get you know a dozen pieces of chocolate for 60 or 70 bucks uh, maison de chocolat is a very famous place for the best chocolate they have the very uh, fancy flavor it is uh, magnifique but you have to uh, rob the bank to have the money to pay for the chocolate uh you also could do i like hershey's hershey's american chocolate yeah uh all chocolate is good all bacon is good, but thick cut bacon is better than thin bacon. Trust me on this one. And it is worth it to go find a butcher and have the butcher cut the bacon to the thickness you desire. You know, have the butcher cut the bacon for it's worth it. You can always freeze your bacon so you can get a whole bunch of it. You know, get get a couple, get a two pounds. That lasts me about a day and a half. No, get two pounds of bacon and, and keep some of it in the fridge and keep the rest of it in the freezer. And you're good to go. And you just thaw it out as you need it. But that thick cut bacon is so much better. The really thin stuff, you know, it, it just just doesn't get it done. It just doesn't get it done. You don't really get the full bacon flavor. It's just grease and fat. You don't want that. Phil writes, regarding international or inspirational buildings, you overlook Washington's National Cathedral, finished in 1990 after 80-some years of construction. Um, yeah, National Cathedral is nice. That's that's a that's a fair point. I'm not saying, Phil, that it doesn't exist anywhere. I'm just saying that they don't make them like they used to when it comes to cathedrals, when it comes to a lot of things. They don't make them like they used to. 
Adam writes, hey, Buck, in regards to the investigation, could Trump sue everyone involved in a RICO case, kind of like how he did the shipping of all the illegals to Nancy's home city, Shields High? Adam, I think the answer is probably no, but I do appreciate the creativity that you are willing to bring to this issue. So, indeed, there you have it. Uh, Paul. It's Buck Shields High. On this Good Friday, as we remember Jesus' sacrifice, let's also celebrate the Minutemen at Lexington Green and Concord Bridge who fired the shot heard around the world. Maybe you could read this account of that day's battle with some appropriate martial music behind it. Thank you, Paul from Michigan. Well, Paul, at least we got a shout out for it. I don't have the time, unfortunately, for a dramatic reading of it right now, but I do appreciate you reminding everybody that this is, while well, it's Good Friday, first and foremost, it is also the day that the Minutemen took on the British Empire at Lexington Green and Concord Bridge. Let's see what else we have here. Um, Marshall writes, please, Buck, send Mueller and his stooges my way. Signed, Bigfoot. Shields high. All right, Marshall. Absolutely. And uh, let's see if we can get uh, Tessa in on this action. Yeah, I mean, look, Bigfoot sometimes writes into the show. What can I tell you? I do. I have a colleague that is going to watch the very violent, scary, but entertaining Bigfoot movie, she said, tonight, because I told her about it in the office. So I've become a, an evangelist for this, this uh, film. Um, Mesa writes, I tuned in at 8 p.m. to catch your show on my way back from work, and I got Glenn Beck. What's the deal? News Talk 99.5 in New Orleans. Uh, I don't know. Um, maybe they made a change down there. I'll have to look into that one. So Mesa, we'll, we'll see. Uh, let's see what else we have here. Mike writes, Hey Buck, longtime fan. Nice job on Fox news this evening, sir. Enjoy your radio show. Uh, well, thank you so much, Mike. I appreciate it. It was a good session on, uh, on Fox news and, uh, I'll be on Fox news this Sunday as part of the panel for the uh, Media Buzz show with Howie Kurtz. So that will really be an interesting discussion, given what's going on this week. I can assure you of that. Uh, Catherine writes, Buck, we need you as a permanent guest on Brett's show. Well, Catherine, and I really enjoy doing Brett's show. It's a great panel, and uh, I think I'll be back next month on it. Usually they try to get me on once or twice a month, so we'll see if we can make that happen. But I, I agree with you that the more, buck on, the more buck on the Brett panel, the better for America. How about that? And then we have here Jack, who writes, Hey, brother, I'm a little mad about no jokes about Mayor Pete. Have Commie Bear do it. LOL. May the wings of liberty never lose a feather. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, Mayor Pete, I got to think of funnier stuff to say about him. I, I have to listen to see if he's really somebody that I could do an impersonation of that would be worthwhile. I have to work on my Trump because it's very, I know you guys are all like, Buck, your Trump is terrible. But if you could see my face and I have the swoop, I mean, I can do the Trump hair swoop. We're like separated at birth, Trump and me. I mean, his hair is blonde and mine's kind of, you know, a light brown or whatever, but we both exactly go home to mommy. Uh, He's going home to his mom. Say hello to mommy. Exactly. Scott. Hey, Buck. 
Only had about time to read 25 pages of the Mueller report, but I'd love to have a scorecard on how many times publicly reported and no evidence of collusion pops up in it. I'm going to dig back in. I cannot wait to hear your analysis. Shields High here in New Hampshire. Uh, Well, Scott, I hope you enjoyed the analysis I gave you of this whole thing today. And uh, I'm looking forward to getting more answers for you about some of the big questions we're raising. Uh, How this what's really going to bring the whole deep state edifice crumbling down around this whole investigation is how this thing got started. That's where they're going to have a lot of problems, I think. So I think that they were shady. I know they were shady. I just I think we're going to be able to prove it. Roll call part two. Come up in a moment, team. Stay with me. Ain't no party like a team buck party because a team buck party don't stop. Yeah, we got Buck turned up to 11. It's time for Roll Call. Thomas writes, another great show today, Buck. I agree with your guest who was talking about the glaring omission of the Mueller report. There was no mention of Hillary Clinton and her involvement in this Greek tragedy. I've been talking about this for six months. As it currently stands, a special counsel aided by a gaggle of lawyers and 40 investigators spent two years in search of a crime that never happened. They spent $25 million and thousands of man hours to produce half a report. Ha! Only in America. I pray to God that when the DOJ and IG Horowitz's report is presented in May or June, that it brings a long list of indictments or this country may indeed explode. I didn't expect the Mueller report to have any surprises. I did expect some mention of Hillary and the DNC involvement in it. Nothing. I can only speculate that those key elements were redacted because they are part of an ongoing criminal investigation. The Mueller investigation was a counterintelligence one. I don't think A.G. Barr sufficiently explained that in his press briefing. It was never put in context with the failure to get results, which is why many people believe the whole thing was a waste of time and the progressives feel betrayed by Mueller. A prosecutor cannot exonerate anyone from a crime that never existed. It is not possible to commit obstruction of a crime that never existed. Amazing how few of these so-called legal eagles in Congress know so little about how these investigations are conducted and what the goals of each type may be. Thomas, a lot of eloquence here in this message. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Good to talk to you. Terry writes, answer your damn phone, Terry. Sorry we missed your call when you tried to call recently. Um, I I do want to do... Some day of the week where we just we do kind of an open line. I mean, you'd say, Buck, what about Friday? Yeah, but people are hanging out on Friday. It's Friday night. Do they really? I feel like during the week might be better. So I'm going to think about that. Maybe maybe we do, you know, wild call Wednesday or something. I don't know. That's the people are going to call like, yeah, it's wild call Wednesday on the Buck Sexton show. Get in that get that whole radio top 40 radio with Buck Sexton wild Wednesday. So, Bobby Newport. Uh, here we go. Esther writes, Will the real puppet master please stand up? Why so quiet, Barack? Thank you, Sexton, and your, and your team for giving me my daily dose of common sense politics. Well, I will pass that along, uh, along to producer Mike and DJ John. John, Esther says thank you. You're welcome, Esther. Exactly. 
John, speaking of John, Buck, one thing I don't think I've seen any evidence or alluding uh, evidence to is that Hillary had a part of her being let off the hook for the server and email scandal. The same goes for the attacks on Trump's campaign and presidency. It almost seems like she's innocent for just this piece. Even if Obama is involved, doesn't seem to lead to Hillary. Unfortunately, can you please take your uh, share of thoughts on this one? Thank you, a loyal fan. Um, I don't think I've seen any evidence or that Hillary had a part of her being let off the hook. Uh, John, so I think you're asking me, just so I'm clear on the question, if Hillary exerted any influence or did anything illicit to get the decision that she wanted, which was obviously the non-prosecution decision from the Department of Justice. And I would say uh, that the bigger problem is that I don't think she had to do that. I think that that was done for her. So in many ways, that's even more concerning that the apparatus of the DOJ and the federal government uh, and the attorney general at the time, Loretta Lynch and James Comey, they knew. And this is why Loretta Lynch had that tarmac meeting with Bill Clinton, where he was like, I just want to talk about grandchildren and not whether or not you're going to prosecute Hillary, because that's not like on the front of my mind a few days from the declination decision that you're going to give to Comey to back you up for the whole country. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I think that they they knew. I mean, Queen Hillary was never going to get prosecuted. That was never going to happen. They just went through the motions and the, the the fix was in from the beginning. So I don't think you could say that Hillary took any action to make James Comey not prosecutor, but she did take actions to destroy evidence, to lie, to break the law, but she's a Clinton, so I guess we don't expect much more on that one. And now we have Edward, who writes, this is not the way our legal system works. How do you prove a negative? You cannot. So he either obstructed justice and can prove it, or he didn't. Indict or innocent. That is how our legal system works. So damn tired of hearing, but we didn't clear President Trump of obstruction charges. Our courts don't clear people. They convict guilty people. Edward, you know more about the law, apparently, than Bob Mueller and his team of angry partisan Democrats. So there we have it. Another fantastic Buck Sexton show in the books. Please, team, do me a solid. Do me a favor. Share the iTunes link with one friend this weekend, or at least tell somebody, hey, have you heard the Buck Sexton show? It's pretty awesome. The guy's got a podcast. He's kind of funny sometimes. Talk to you all Monday. Shields high.